My name's Sharon Waters and we're here at the National Maritime Museum for an episode of the Seeing Ourselves podcast. I'm joined today by writer and curator Echo Eschen. Hi Echo. Hey Sharon. Thanks for joining us. And Serena Lee. Hi Serena. Hi Sharon. <laughs> Serena's an independent historian and the host of a um, Instagram account called Georgian Diaspora, but she's also a art historian um, and a multicultural portraiture lecturer. So welcome to this episode. I'm really pleased that you could both join us. Looking forward to it. <laughs> really looking forward to this episode. So today we are looking at two pieces um, in particular. We're in the library and I understand Echo, this is the first time you've been to this library, isn't it? Yeah. And been to this space and Serena of course you've been here a few times before. Um, so the first piece we're going to look at is a piece, Serena do you want to introduce this piece by name, the one that we can see here on the right? So this is a piece um, and it's called Billy Walters and it looks like a caricature. Yeah. And you've got a man with a peg leg it's a black man and he's um, using a violin and he's got this kind of very ostentatious hat on with feathers, a sailor's hat to the side. It's very comical looking. It's interesting. I've read about Billy Waters before. He's sort of what a famous figure, really. Mm. If we're thinking about this particular time in London. First thing that strikes me is that the colour they've got him. He's this... Yeah, Billy Waters is a uh, man of African origin, African diasporic, I think American, I think, by origin. But here, he's this, he's this interesting grey colour. He's a dark grey colour. In fact, his skin tone matches his hat, which is interesting. So the hat is a dark grey colour. His skin tone is portrayed as a dark grey. He's got a kind of... His foot... No, he's, he's got a sort of stumpy foot as well. It's an interesting image. If you didn't know anything about him, I don't know, it's hard to know what... I said, look, here, the thing that I think about here is that this is an image of a man seen from the outside. Mm. This is an image of a man that someone has conjured. The question that immediately springs to my mind is how much does this really say about Billy Waters, the individual, the subject, rather than this observed figure mm. who is conjured and caricatured in this image? Yeah, there's definitely a sense of him being objectified. Um, and I was also drawn to the, his skin tone. The, the colour of his skin is what I think is the most unnerving and... The thing that makes me feel most uncomfortable about this image, really. Yeah, because it's completely flat. Mm. I mean, look, there's a, I mean, I have a problem sometimes. I would, to be honest, I'd be probably just as weirded out mm. if there was an attempt at some naturalistic skin tone. I don't know yeah. what version of this in would a be way. Better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, the, the grace, it, it's, it's quite, it's almost like the colour of slate. I can't, yes, that's... I can't equate it to being any kind of natural colour. Yeah. And as a character, he does remind me of a Dickensian character of some sort. You can see that he's, he's hoisted as an image, as a 
caricature as almost an icon of that time, especially when you start to look into Billy Walters and how he's used in so many other images. And he's obviously a trope. He's definitely a Ooh, trope. That's interesting. So, I mean, how is he, how is he used in other... Um, so f- when they look at Londoners, he's used in a lot of the um, caricatures that a lot of the people would look at. In so many illustrations, I've actually looked, and there's quite a few that he's in. He's like, uh, he's literally a trope, mm-hmm. as the, um, you would say, yeah, a, a caricature, the black caricature, he's seen as not very serious. Um, the Bojangles, you would say, or the Uncle Tom, almost of today. Yeah, I guess that's the thing to me. He's playing his violin, which, can we just, what year is this work from? Can I just, I want to get some, some detail in place. So this work is from 1819. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's part of the Michael um, Graham Stewart Slavery Connect collection. And it's a re-engraving. I'm fascinated by this period anyway. Mm. I mean, you know, I sort of defer to the experts in the room. <laughs> Even looking at something like this, it also relates to... Cause when I first saw it, it reminded me of um, George Cruikshank, the illustrator of that mm. time, and he would um, always illustrate the poor of London. It was huge to kind of ridicule that, that type of... those type of people in, in, in the society. And it also looks like... It also reminds me of Joseph Johnson, Okay. who's also like seen as a poor beggar. Which one's he? Is he the guy with the hat? Yes, there with the Nelson, <laughs> yes, with the Nelson hat. And we'll make sure we put a reference to this in the notes. Okay, so great, great. And, there's, and they, he, he also used to draw um, African Sal and Dusty Bob, yeah. and they would be dancing. And African Sal was obviously of African descent. Mm-hmm. And Dusty Bob, he was um, a white man, but he was very, very grubby looking, and they would dance and chorale. So you can, they give you this idea that there are these characters within, you know, the darkest, roughest parts of London mm. and how they would inter- inter- you know, interact with each other. These are, the, these are the so-called blackbirds, aren't they? These are the figures who are in Covent Garden and Seven Dials, mm. the black people who've washed up there. I think the thing, that, the thing I think about that when I think about these figures is, is essentially these are people that are having to fashion a living for themselves. So Billy Waters, I think, tell me if I'm right or wrong, he was, he was a sailor. Was he American or was he British originally? I think he was British. Um, and when you see, because they, they actually do like poems about him and his acts, the way they write, the way he speaks yeah. is um, almost Caribbean. But I don't know whether they've done that deliberately, you see. Yeah. So who knows? Because, you know, they really write it like he's broke, right? Like he speaks in really bad broken English. Yeah. But who knows what he sounded like? So when I, so when I think about him or these other figures like him, I think about this precarious strata in London or British society. These are black people who aren't in service of some kind. These are black people who aren't working in the Navy or the military, at least not anymore. They are literally, well, they are working on their wits. They have their bodies, as it were, to sell, as entertainers, as figures of fun, as public figures who live on the streets in that way. This is what they've got. And in a way, they're selling their capacity okay, to sing or to play the violin or to dance, 
but also they're selling themselves a spectacle. Exactly, the visual spectacle. They, you, you would, I can imagine you would go to London and you would expect to see somebody like this. Yeah. And it makes me think, you know, does that relate to today? That's why yeah. I'm always interested in that. And when you think about celebrities um, and the celebrity culture, does mm-hmm. that relate to the diaspora today? You mentioned um, blackbirds. Can you talk yeah. a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes. I mean, just in this. So, if we're if we're at the uh, early nineteenth century, eighteen tens, eighteen twenties, eighteen thirties, black people certainly in Britain freed from slavery in eighteen oh seven. They have, to some extent, autonomy. They have agency, but they don't have status. Yeah. They don't have wealth of any kind. If you're black, you're often in service of some form or another. You're a servant. Otherwise, the blackbirds occupy seven dials in Covent Garden. They're known as the blackbirds. These are African diasporic figures who flit about in the streets, who are known in this way. I mean, blackbirds is an interesting thing. It's pejorative to some extent. But at the same time, it actually signifies something about these figures who both flock together and fly free. So I think there's an interesting thing about even that designation. These figures who are, yes, they're indigents, they're beggars, they're also entertainers, they live by their wits. And there's clearly something compelling about them because, as you say, Serena, they recur. Billy Waters recurs and recurs in images. So does what's his name? The, the John Joseph Johnson. Joseph Johnson with his extraordinary Nelson. hat based on um, based on Nelson's ship. Yes. Um, and you see, you know, you see, you, you do see them again. I've read about them on a whole bunch of occasions. Billy Waters apparently fabled for his capacity to sing and dance in the raptures of singing and dancing he was said sometimes to throw away his crutch to spin on his peg leg that's that's how that's how they capture the imagination so and partly yeah there's something slightly disturbing about how these figures are conjured into almost mythic or caricatured status by the likes of Cruikshank but also again I have a certain admiration for their capacity to be able to live almost as it were on their own terms within this society. I agree because it's like they have a certain amount of agency because maybe some people might ridicule them because there were others of course that were in the higher echelons of Georgian society, the odd few when we're talking about the Sons of Africa Mm. but I think these people also have agency in their own way. I'm sure it was hard but obviously they were seen as a a light relief yeah. to some people. I think, I think one, of the things, one of the things I find interesting here really is, I mean, look, I suppose, I'm guessing, but the likelihood is someone like Billy Waters is unlettered, so he hasn't written about himself. Other people write about him yeah. and write his story. There's an interesting contrast there because if you contrast, let's say, Billy Waters with some of the sons of Africa, Oluwadu, Equiano, Otoba, Kogwano, these figures, when you look at their writing, very often, although they are lettered, although these are incredible figures who write their own stories and write their own memoirs, um, one of the things that's telling, I think, is you can read a certain restrictiveness into how they write. So the, the classic thing about 
uh, memoirs of formerly enslaved people is that there's a sort of moral rectitude yeah. involved very often when they tell their stories. They're very, they tell very little really about their emotional states because to some extent they're appealing to a white audience that wants to know the facts and is less interested in them as subjective individuals, less interested in the poetry or precarity of their emotional states. So they almost, they almost excise themselves from the narrative, although the narrative is about themselves. If you read Equiano, it's actually quite hard to learn that much about him as a person, although he'll tell you exactly what the experience of being in a slave ship was like and so on. And that's the contrast with someone like Billy Waters here, where there is nothing except, as it were, the vigor of the individual. There's nothing rational, there's nothing cerebral or official or moral or rectitudinal here. There's just him in complete spirit and form. Because he's stripped away almost to this, you get, oddly, more sense of him as a vital figure, in fact, than you do some of the more uh, cultivated uh, black figures of that era. Such an interesting point, actually. It really is, it's it? That's such an, it, and I think you're right, especially when you think even of the women as well. And, you know, there are lots of stories of the black Georgian women yeah. that were living like this and were um, maybe prostituting. Um, but in a sense, I do understand what you mean, like how actually the feeling of being human, Yeah. you can almost relate to, that's why you can almost relate to the spectacle yeah. of the person they're having every day because he was so he was in so many other illustrations people knew about him they spoke about him they wrote about him so that must be from his own yeah, verve. I, mean, I, mean, I mean look the experience of being black I mean you, you talk about this really the experience of being black now as well as then, it's often an experience of constraint as much as anything else. There's always someone telling you what not to do. There's always someone telling you where you don't belong or how yeah. you should behave in one form or another. Sometimes that's white society, sometimes it's black culture and communities also. So it's super interesting when you see these figures who are actually are not constrained in those ways because to some extent, they're already outside. You, they're absolutely outside. There's almost nowhere else for them to go because they live publicly on the, edge, on the yes, streets. Yes. So there's nothing to hide to some extent. And it's interesting, therefore, to think about what they are able to do in those conditions, potentially then the charisma which they can manifest, their ability both to entertain, to captivate, mm. to mesmerize, there's something going on. There's some reason why they recur. Yes, they're trading on their own exoticness. They're trading in their own novelty. But the, uh, one of the definitional states of novelty is that it comes and goes. And yet they recur. They do recur. And, and I always think, like even through history, because it, it reminds me of somebody like Josephine Baker. Yes. And how yes. she would exactly. perform and the spectacle yeah. of that. I do think there's a link and you can actually bring that link right up to today. I do yeah. see the links of the black diaspora and how you navigate that. Yeah. Where do you stand? Is this a the simulation or do you stay within this kind of spectacle performance or is it a mix of both? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the thing. The space outside 
traditionally you're supposed to be trying to get close to the center yeah but actually these yeah they're not they're not getting anywhere no they stripped of power they have a capacity to assert their own self and it's kind of mesmerizing it is i really appreciate you bringing that to the fore because i think on looking on looking at this piece in particular initially you kind of i initially felt a a distance from it i was feeling like oh they're taking the mick out of this of a black person there's no respect but listening to you both it brings it brings them more to brings billy more to life i'm more interested I'm, I feel more connected yeah. and I'm more, I feel more interested in finding out about more characters who sit outside who are on the periphery. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think my first reaction, maybe our first reaction is that this is clearly not the best representation, this weird deadening yeah. skin tone. But what's interesting is that you feel there's still someone in there. Yeah. That there's more to this picture, or there's more to this person than this picture, and I think that's the thing that's interesting to me here. Just one more thing, because just talking about um, Billy Walton and how he's seen, there is one image that is here actually um, in the in the maritime and it's Billy Waters by David Wilkie and that's 18, in 1815 and this comparing it to that image you can see the colour is different he's yeah, wearing a very look. nice Georgian red Georgian waistcoat and, and if you look it's a yellow cravat lovely shirt on and he's, you can relate more to this image maybe so this is actually this this is this looks like it's a portrait that he posed for as opposed to just this uh, caricature drawing. Yeah, it's super interesting. He's against a yellow background, which is very vigorous and colourful. It's red waistcoat, equally so. There's a vitality, there's a dynamism. Hmm, fun thing. Images from one image to the other. His crutch, his, his uh, missing leg is different. On the other side. On yeah. one painting it's on his left leg and the other picture is on his right leg. You wonder which one is more accurate. Perhaps the portrait would be the guess, but he certainly feels more alive and present. He's regarding the viewer in the painting, this David Wilkie painting. I've never seen this painting before. And he comes across as someone actually whole and real exactly in comparison to the caricature but i think it's really interesting what you said sharon that you said you look at this image first mm-hmm. and it's like you don't relate and that's what i like because some people say to me oh i love the fact that you like uh, the georgian era by looking at the images but it's not that what i like is understanding what was happening at that time thinking about the enlightenment era and their ideas and how strong they were, but actually there were people that could come through. So I just want to relate. How can I relate to these terrible, some of them are terrible images. Mm. I've spoken to you before, like Sarah Bonetta. You know, there are some really terrible stories of that era. The Enlightenment era was about science. And basically what they did is brought about science, um, the arts, and they kind of, it's like the Renaissance era. But um, in the European terms, in the British European terms, where they set out like hierarchies, who was at the top and who was at the bottom, people like Kant, um, Hume, they all decided who was human, who was not. And it was a hierarchy. To some extent, the Enlightenment 
in a way, is the basis for Western European democratic progressive society, these values of tolerance, progress, these are all inscribed within the tenets of the philosophers of the Enlightenment. Simultaneous with that, this is also the same period as we see the invention of the idea of race. Exactly. And with that, racial hierarchies, an idea of who progresses into civilization about how humanity evolves out of the bestial and the simian to the civilizational. The thing about these ideas of race from the early 19th century is that they're almost ahistorical, simultaneously with promulgating an idea of progress. They also have at their heart an idea that, well, racial hierarchies, the idea that uh, people of African origin are always and perpetually in a state of under-civilization, under-development. So it doesn't matter what time in history, black people will always be the most savage, the most simian, the least civilizational, whereas white Europeans are allowed to progress into the future. They're allowed to keep learning. They're allowed to be the progenitors of the Industrial Revolution, of science, of progress, of learning and development. They're allowed to keep evolving. Whereas, but to have them, as it were, evolving, the Enlightenment suggests a contrast between lightness and darkness. Mm. So the forces of darkness, the figures of darkness, Africa, the heart of darkness, and so on. So black people in Africa ship to the Caribbean and to the Americas on the streets of London. These are avatars almost of barbarism, uncivilization, unsophistication. And it's actually, it's another reason why it has to be said the likes of Billy Waters are captivating presences because they seem to signal something wild and dangerous loose on the streets of the capital. But that's why I'd like to go with our reading, which suggests that in fact, these still, who knew? These still are figures of humanity. These still are men and women. These still are whole and human people. And I think it's important to hold on to that, almost irrespective of the strange carapace, the strange grayness that's inserted on their form and their figure and their faces. We're going to move on to the second piece now. Um, so this is a caricature of Greenwich pensioners. This is a um, drawing from the 1800s, circa 1800. shows two Greenwich pensioners in these blue jackets and tricorner hats. One of them is black, one of them is white. Both of them have uh, one leg, no, actually one of them has got, he's, he's okay, yeah. Uh, one of them is black, one of them is white, one of them is the white guys in crutches. The black man has got a peg leg. Behind them, there's a whole range of other pensioners sit, um, lounging on a wall. It's really, it's a bit unclear what the dynamic is to some extent. I think the white guy here, he's got a pot, perhaps that's for begging with, that would be my supposition. There's the two of them, there's this background. What I find interesting here is that there's a, um, there's a parity between these two figures. They're both dressed pretty much identically. 
these blue coats, triquana hats. There's no sense of hierarchy here between them. They're both um, Greenwich pensioners, I suppose. What does that What does that mean? They're, are they getting a Are they getting some sort of salary or retirement pay, payment? Do you know exactly the circumstances under which you? Uh, are in uh, are here as a pensioner. I'm not entirely sure, but but the thing that the thing that's most interesting to me is yeah is the social parity mm. apparently between these figures. Um, so we saw with Billy Waters, him as a caricatured figure, him as an isolated figure. What's interesting to me, looking at the black figure here, is that he seems to be integrated in this, into this particular society. Yeah, and it almost looks as though there's a conversation happening, mm. or at least the the white man is speaking to the black man, and yeah. the black man's looking over his shoulder to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, tell us what the conversation or the communication yeah. is happening. So it's interesting that that's your response, Echo, because according to the description, there is there is hierarchy mm. at play here. So the pot is apparently references um, the phrase pot calling the kettle black mm-hmm. right and he is supposed the white character here is the white pensioner is actually taking the mick out of the black pensioner his red um waistcoat actually references him being less than the oh, oh i see there is a reference to the to the waistcoat as a sailor he's i a, think so yeah. okay um and so he's supposed to be mimicking or taking the mick out of the the black pensioner and wow that's crazy so everything is so everything i thought wasn't there actually is there yeah <sighs> yes. there, is there any wording to so so it says here the caricature is a, re- a rare original image showing a black greenwich pensioner in greenwich hospital uniform although the balustrading across the back background is inauthentic the presence of moored shipping behind suggests the scene is supposed to be the grand square of the hospital while the throng of pensioners along it well suggests the listless idleness and mental vacuity that inner phrase of the 1860s characterized much of hospital life it's it's quite a telling image in that for a moment for a moment i thought we were in a state, mm-hmm. yeah, of social parity. Turns out race is never absent. No. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. It's a, it's a comment on everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, is it just across, it's just across the way, I imagine, in that. I'm trying to imagine them there now, yeah, just across yeah. there. Yeah. And it's, it's quite interesting thinking about Billy Walters as well and the, the man here, the black yeah. man here with the peg leg, with the leg. It makes me think of disability as well and how they're portrayed. And for the white man to be putting him down, it's quite interesting. Yeah. So what it says here is the main figures are a sandy-haired white pensioner on crutches with his bandaged right leg sticking out rigidly in some sort of wooden brace, turning to make what what may be a witty remark over his left shoulder to his black colleague. The latter facing right with his hands in his pockets, similarly turns his head back over his shoulder to listen and does not seem amused. 
I mean, that's, that's the only credit I can give to this as a work, that the black character is not required to be buffoonish mm. in response to yeah. his, uh, to the condescension that's mm. offered to him. To that extent, there's some sense of humanity or tension mm. in play rather than just a yet further reduction mm. of this figure to type, to a yeah. type. Yeah, that's true. I, I th- in comparison to Billy Waters again, he looks quite serious. And yeah, not he does. Very, He's not uh, taking any foolishness. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, what you want? He's like, what are you talking to me for type look? Who are you? And that has a completely different sense of um, power and strength and, 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 and an inner knowing that you're not less than, that you don't have yeah. to accept this. You know, I'm, I'm and that's not why subservient they, in any way. Exactly, and that's why they looked like they were on the same level, mm. I it's think, when you first look at it. Uh, do you, are you familiar with, well, the sculpture that's in Trafalgar Square right now by On the Fourth Plinth by Samson Kambali? Uh, so, well, uh, amongst other things, I do, I chair a group called the Fourth Plinth Commissioning Group that decides what goes on the Fourth Plinth in Trafalgar Square. So the current piece that's up there is by a great uh, Malawian artist, Samson Kambalu. Super interesting. It's a bronze sculpture of two men, one of whom is black, one of whom is white. They're in dynamic tension. Both of them are wearing hats. They're looking in different directions. The black figure is significantly larger in scale than the white figure. Samson has recreated a historical moment in Malawi when uh, uh, Africans w- weren't allowed, weren't legally allowed to wear hats in the presence of white figures. He conjures a moment of miscreance and disobedience. The black figure continues to wear his hat in the presence of a white figure. The black figure himself is an interesting revolutionary figure in in, uh, national history that he captures there. But the moment is really about the dynamic between these two figures and the reorientation of power that took place historically by that refusal to doff his hat, but then which Samson recreates in this graphic form by exaggerating and, and enlarging in the size of this black figure. So his power, his moment of resistance is physically inscribed in these sculptures. There's something similar, slightly. There is, the way way you've described it, there is, and I think it's so interesting when you look at visual culture itself, and then you look at these times and it's it's a technology, it's literally a technology, and speak in how to relate to something. And you as an artist, Sharon, and just like the artist you were talking about, it makes sense that that we need to make and create from all different perspectives, Mm. from that black perspective, actually. I think it's really important because this is the kind of technology that we're working against. Yeah, yeah, you're being very quiet here, Sharon. I am, I'm just, I'm taking it all in because I absolutely love that fourth plinth Mm -hmm. piece. Um, And when I I first read about it, I was completely, I was completely mesmerized by the idea. Mm. It's not even the taking back of power, it's, Taming the power that we already have. I think that's the importance in that work. And I completely see the connection between that and this piece. But in my own practice, I'm really interested in in the idea of how we see ourselves 
Yeah. And how we how we almost not reimagine. Yeah, I guess we retell our stories. I mean, the thing is, we have to mm. because otherwise, someone else is telling them. Yes. <laughs> and telling them from their perspective. To some extent, look, everyone can do what they want. The goal for us is to do that on our turf. Definitely. And that starts now. That starts here today. And it starts with, for me, it starts with the work that I create because the work that I create today will be history. You know, that kind of thing. It's about creating a legacy constantly now. Yeah. Not kind of always looking back, but looking back, but using that to kind of be an impetus to what we do moving forward. I think it's really important. And I I think it's... I think it's super interesting having this kind of conversation because as part of that, we get to look at these moments. And actually, I would suggest that our telling or our versioning of these stories. So I'm happier to see this as an act of resistance rather than just a further reiteration of racial hierarchy, because I think that's probably going on as well as anything else that might be happening in this image. And I think it's important to claim that and assert our subjectivity. And I think what I've enjoyed about this whole body of work, as in the whole body of um, the podcast and the live events that I've been doing with um, National Maritime Museum, is the fact that there's now an opportunity to rewrite these descriptions. So I'm currently rewriting some of the descriptions. Um, and I'm going to rewrite this one, I think, yeah. <laughs> too. But there's space for other voices. And, and yes, this was one opinion, but there's no reason why that opinion, this well, can't indeed. be presented I in mean, a different way. Yeah. I mean, the, the scholar Tina Kant talks about, she has a notion of refusal. Refusal being a resistance to capitulate to a way of being or way of being seen that reinforces power structures. Refusal being a way to assert agency, autonomy, aliveness Mm. on one's own terms as a way of deliberately discrepant living. I think there's all sorts of things going on. For me, the more we look at this image, the more we think about it, I'd say I would suggest that here we see refusal being played out. Here we see a refusal to subordination being played out. The, the white wag on the left, he can make his jokes. Yeah. But it's all about the gaze. Yeah. <laughs> As you've already been saying, look at the guy looking back at him. Look at that. That's not... There's a lively contempt in there. And I think it's absolutely right to highlight that. Although he has his peg leg, look at how strong he's standing. Oh, that's really good as well, actually. Yes, you're right. He's not holding on to anything. He's not balancing. He's not leaning over. He's not crouching. He doesn't need anything. He stands even though he doesn't have two, you know, legs that are yeah, he hasn't He's, got a stick. He hasn't got a stick. But, you know, but what's crazy is that that's in complete contrast to, yes. to the guy with the pot, the white man who is lent over, who's bent over, who's got... He's got all sorts of things. He's got a lot of stuff. He's got, <laughs> he's got a lot of <laughs> he seems to be carrying a lot. And, and I, almost, I almost relate to the look 
um, yes. that he's giving mm. over his shoulder. Yes. Well, I of think course. we've all yeah. been there. Yeah. We have. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, do we need to spell it out? No. You know, all of the casual, casual, small and glancing ways we can be othered. Mm. All of the ways people invite you to return to your place. Exactly. Wherever that's supposed to be. And yeah, I think I would suggest, who knows whether it's deliberate or inadvertent, mm. but something has been captured here. And ultimately, what that is, I think, is, a, is an assertion of aliveness. It's an assertion that this figure, yeah. this black figure, such a good point. He holds himself aloft. He holds himself upright. He holds, he's not holding himself back no. or down. Any respect. Standing his ground. Yes. Completely. That's exactly it. Standing his ground. Yeah. I can't thank you enough. I literally have chills. I can't thank you enough for this conversation. Thank you, Echo. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Serena. Oh, I've loved it. You've been listening to the Seeing Ourselves podcast, hosted by me, Sharon Walters. I'm a London-based artist whose practice includes hand-assembled collages celebrating black women. You can find my work on Instagram by heading to London underscore artist one or by visiting my website, londonartistone.com.